This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for this Thursday, January 5th. The weather forecast, we wake up to some fog in southern Ontario. The rest of the day is cloudy with a chance of some showers or flurries and a high today of 3 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, gas prices have dropped and are expected to drop again. Number two, Pope Benedict's funeral is held in Rome. The Cardinal of Toronto will join us at 6.35. Number three, Canada's juniors advance to the finals. Number four, John Tory's city budget includes a fair hike for transit. And number five, a viral tweet by a friend of the show causes headaches for a supermarket CEO. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 507. Happy Thursday. It's three degrees. That's as warm as it gets today. A busy morning, actually. It's one of those days where we've, uh, I mean, we spend hours preparing for the show anyway, but we've spent a long time kind of lining up things that are happening in real time or have happened in the last little while. One of them would be the funeral for Pope Benedict, which concluded just minutes ago as his casket, actually he's in three caskets, Uh, But his casket was taken back into St. Paul's Cathedral. It's going to be placed in a vault. But it was uh, an historic funeral. I guess any papal funeral is going to be historic, but historic because of the distinction of it being presided over by another pope. Normally, the pope dies in office, and the other pope is yet to be named. So there are cardinals all gathered for the funeral who are also getting ready to gather together to decide who amongst them will be the next pope. But that is not happening this time. Uh, This morning at 6.35, Cardinal Collins, the Archbishop of Toronto, who is in Rome and was a part of the funeral this morning, is going to join us to tell us what it was like to be a part of that occasion. And I guess shed some light on what happens when a bunch of cardinals get together in Rome, but they don't have to select a new pope. But you have to figure, it's kind of like, you know, a political party, where there's always a few people who think they're the next leader. And so they're always kind of jostling for position. And he's a long shot, but Cardinal Collins is not out of consideration. I don't know if he's part of what they call the preferiti, who are the people who are considered to be known candidates to succeed to become the next pope. But he's well thought of. He's a theologian, PhD, specialist in the book of Revelation. And I imagine bilingual, but then, well, trilingual, because I suppose he speaks Latin as well. Um, But anyway, all that to say it's a momentous and solemn occasion. And then we get to the solemn occasion that we observed yesterday in Barrie at the funeral for Constable Greg Pershala. And Rosie DeMano, as always, I mean, Rosie almost always hits it out of the park because she writes not only from the heart, but from the gut and sometimes from a certain sense of of outrage. And she writes about the funeral and how awful it is to be gathered for the, you know, to remember a 28-year-old who died for, I don't want to say for nothing, but I mean, it was, it was just the most pointless 
craven, brazen, I hate the word, but it was brazen, assassination of somebody. And as Rosie observes, all of the circumstance and all of the tribute yesterday and the tears and the words and the flag draped casket, but then police officers go back to work, our society gets back to whatever we consider to be normal. And for the family, this represents a rock in their chest for the rest of their lives. But for everybody else, you eventually move on. I mean, no fallen officer, I think, is ever forgotten. If you're on social media, you'll see very frequently on the anniversary of an officer's death, you will see um, a, a tribute to them and that that was their last day of service. But still, the, the world moves on and the yawning loss of this person to his closest friends and to his family will continue forever. Here's the premier, Doug Ford, who spoke at the funeral. As we've heard over the last few days, Greg was living his dream of being a police officer. It's what he wanted to do as a little boy of just five years old. It was his calling. Before becoming an officer, Greg had served proudly as a member of the Canadian Armed Forces and as a special constable at Queen's Park. Proudly protecting our province's legislature and the hundreds of elected officials and staff who work there. Lieutenant Governor also spoke, and uh, if you could be a fan of a Lieutenant Governor, I guess I'll say that I am, because I think Elizabeth Dowdswell often strikes the right note with the right words. But most heart-wrenching was tributes from his immediate, his siblings. And for them, this is personal. This isn't about somebody dying in a line of service or about uniform or about the thin blue line. This is just about a brother. Meanwhile, in, and it's hard to transition from something like that to something, you know, that is more about your pocketbook, but these things are meaningful as we move forward. Price of gas down again, which is interesting. When we talked to Dan McTagg, I think on Tuesday, what is today, Thursday? It's one of those weeks where it's hard to keep track because most of us had Monday off. Some of you have the whole week off. I know a lot of kids are probably still snug in their beds. Um... But when we talked to Dan McTague about the future of the price of gas, we were talking about near and medium term. But in the immediate, we have some great news to share. As of uh, midnight, price of gas today appears to be on average buck forty-five point nine, and on Friday, tomorrow, so at midnight tonight, it's expected to go down to a buck forty point nine. So when you consider that. Going into the summer, there were some who were predicting that we might be looking at $2.50 as the new normal. Um, that's an improvement, to say the least. And I'm always very cautious when I say that, because I know it's still a strain on a lot of people's budgets, and there are people behind the wheel right now saying, dude, you know, I remember when gas was 99 cents, and I'd prefer we got back to that. Meanwhile, you don't even need to text me, all you truckers and industrial drivers, because when we talk about the price of gas, people always say, yeah, well, what about diesel? Diesel is going down 18 cents a liter between now and Friday. So it'll be at approximately a buck 91 a liter. And I still appreciate that that is um, much higher than people would expect it to be. Because back in the day, diesel was cheaper 
than conventional gas. But for whatever reason, Dan McTague was explaining some of this the other day when we spoke, um, it has spiked over the last year or so, and it has been unmanageable for an awful lot of people. I hear from farmers quite frequently talking about what kind of a dent this is putting into their cost of doing business. Um, but the price of diesel going down to buck uh, ninety one is an improvement. Meanwhile, um, all hail Canada's juniors beat Team USA, and they're going to the gold medal game. And that game happens, if I'm remembering correctly from our discussions before the show this morning, Joe Cristiano, that game is happening tonight, and it's the puck drops, I think it's six, actually. It dropped last night at 6.30, but uh, according to what I was looking at just going into the show, uh, puck drops at six tonight. And they're up against uh, Chechia. This is a rematch in the uh, tournament because the two teams have faced each other and the Czechs actually beat Canada 5-2 in the first, you know, it was the tournament opener. But, uh, you know, I got no special knowledge. Matt Cause is going to join us this morning to give us a bit of a preview. But I know how this works. You know, for Canadians, if we don't win on the international level in hockey, then all is lost. All right, let's get into the Thursday version of uh, what Toronto's talking about. News Talk 1010's John Moore is there. Good morning, John. Hope you're doing well today. I am. Nice to be here. Hey, Nick. Good to be talking to you. Okay, and it's uh, a bit better today, I guess, if you're driving by the gas pumps because the price of gas has slipped a little and it's going to go a little further, too. Yeah, the predictions for the sort of medium term of this year are that gas prices are expected to start rising soon. However, there's some great news at the pumps that as of last night, as of midnight this morning, buck 45.9 seems to be the average in the GTA. And on Friday, if you can hold out, price of gas is expected to go down by another five cents to a buck 40.9. And also diesel, which has been running much higher than would have normally been expected for the last year, going down 18 cents a liter between now and Friday. Yeah, that's uh, definitely encouraging news for so many people as they return to work and likely have to fuel up the car once again, John. Uh, in the meantime, overseas in Vatican City, a funeral going on for Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. I know you've got a special guest joining you on your program this morning. Yeah, the Cardinal of Toronto, the Archbishop uh, Tom Collins, is going to be joining us. He was part of the congregation this morning for the funeral for Pope Benedict. It wrapped up just before 5 a.m. our time as his casket, as a matter of fact, three caskets he's inside three different caskets, uh, was carried back into St. Paul's Cathedral to be entombed, actually, in the same resting place as Pope John Paul II. Um, but this is an historic funeral because for the first time in probably about 600 years, a pope was remembered and presided over by another pope. So there won't be an enclave. We don't get another pope. Pope Francis remains in office. That's right. Yeah, sort of a different time around, isn't it? Uh, okay, let's uh, bring things back here now. Uh, I was up last night watching the game. Pretty exciting stuff. Canada beating the U.S. 6-2, to uh, and now they're going for gold tonight against the only team they've lost to in this tournament. That's true. In the very first round, the tournament opener, they lost 5-2, but they at 6 p.m., I think, the start time, and it'll be seen and heard on TSN. Uh, Canada goes up against the Czechs, and I have no predictions here. I am not a particularly knowledgeable guy, Nick, when it comes to hockey. Hockey. Just excited that our juniors are doing so well and that this ongoing story of Connor Bedard is being told. Are you telling me I need to turn to TSN radio and not 1010 to get a prediction, John? 
Yes, sir. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, well, let's move on here. Of course, City of Toronto is set to close some temporary shelters, and this is coming at a pretty, you know, awful time of year in terms of where the, where the conditions are weather-wise. Big question mark as to whether they are going to close these temporary shelters, and we're talking about millions of dollars in expenses. These are, for example, hotels that have been taken over and turned into shelters. The plan was to start closing them down. The problem is, owing to the state of the economy and other affairs, the number of homeless in Toronto has been rising. We're at about 10 thousand people who can officially be counted as homeless in the city of Toronto. So if we go ahead and keep these temporary shelters open, it's going to be upwards of about $25 million in additional expenditures. And the total cost of the homeless uh, system at the moment is uh, $317.2 million. All of this informs the fact that we're in the process of negotiating and unveiling Toronto's budget for the coming year. Yeah, that's right. We're getting so many sort of dribs and drabs of numbers over the past couple of days and more to come. Indeed, in the meantime, speaking of money and numbers, our colleague John Siobhan Morris uh, <laughs> tweeting out something that's got to be causing Galen Weston some headaches and has a lot of people, I think, their eyes popped when they saw that picture. Absolutely. She took a picture in the supermarket of uh, some skinless chicken breasts, and the price was $28.87 per kilogram at uh, Loblaws. And all she accompanied this with was, I beg your pardon. This tweet has gone absolutely viral. Apparently, it's gone right to the head office or the C-suite at Loblaws. And the interesting thing about Galen Weston is he's made Loblaws, like, he's the personal brand of it, and he's supposed to be a likable fellow in a sweater. And at the moment this ain't playing well yeah it's going to be really interesting to watch how this one goes today because some of those responses especially from chicken farmers really uh highlighting a potential sort of disparity <laughs> in the price of chicken versus the price we're paying uh so we'll be following that one really closely john always great to talk to you we'll look forward to our conversation again on friday morning have a great show this morning that's nick dixon our friend over at cp24 we're hoping to catch up with Siobhan Morris this morning. You're familiar with her, I'm sure, if you've been with us for a good long time on News Talk 1010, because she was one of our reporters and anchors. And then she went on to do CTV in Barrie, and they liked what she was doing there, so they brought her back to Toronto. Um, I'm a big fan, always have been. I mean, I like Siobhan personally, but I also think she's an extraordinary reporter. And you never know when you're going to make the news accidentally. I mean, all she did was post a picture of, I think it was six boneless chicken breasts in a package, and the price was totally eye-popping. I mean, it was almost what back in the day my mom would take to the supermarket to buy a week's worth of groceries, and it was for six chicken breasts. And all she said was said in her commentary was, I beg your pardon. And it was premium chicken, John. Was it premium? Yeah. You know what? I have a friend in the business. He lives in Stratford who is like an international chicken executive. I should ask him for some insight into all of this. But I'm also mindful. There's a chicken farmer, as a matter of fact. I'm pretty sure he's in the Niagara region who writes me almost every single day because apparently they play News Talk 1010 to the chickens. And I don't know how comforting that is because I hear they play Mozart for cows. And that Maybe that's why they call milk. it premium chicken because they listen to News Talk 1010. They listen to premium radio. Yeah. Um, but I would love to have more insight into why this chicken was so expensive. And what is premium chicken? Uh, I mean, is it a better caliber of chicken or is it just kind of like the butcher shop that I shop at? The claim to fame there is that the animals had a good life, like they were all free range and they didn't see their deaths coming. And so <laughs> you you pay for what might be, you know, more ethical meat, but you're still eating an animal that got 
raised and, uh, and uh, killed for you. Anyway, enough down that garden path. Uh, here's what we're going to do. Uh, press the reset button in a moment because we've talked about some of the stories that Toronto was talking about this morning, but that's not always the full run of the stories that we want to bring to the table for you here on our show as the hours continue. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.36 on a Thursday morning, and yes, you're absolutely right. I think of St. Paul's because every time I go to London, I go to St. Paul's and I climb that stupid staircase. It, it's funny the the things that are sort of, I don't know if it's a bucket list item, but, you know, you might do once in your life. And then some of them you just do again and again and again. But St. Paul's is in London. St. Peter's is the cathedral where uh, the remains of Pope Benedict are currently being entombed. It was, as you might expect, a solemn funeral. I mean, it doesn't get higher than a funeral for uh, a deceased pope. And all the more significant because it was presided over by his successor. And the two of them had, I wouldn't call it a fractious relationship necessarily, but they didn't agree on a lot. One of the reasons why Pope Benedict got out of the way was because he lived almost entirely in his head. And so that's great if you're writing encyclicals. It's not so great if you're trying to be the people's pope. And following Pope John Paul II, that was a tough act to follow. And so he got out of the way, and he spent 10 years in retirement. And the successor pope, Pope Francis, again, is a guy who just kind of has, I wouldn't necessarily call it the common touch, but he's a smiley pope who likes to live very, very modestly and uh, has, has been a fairly popular pope. I'm always amazed, without getting too deep into um, Catholic politics and theology and everything else, but I was amazed when he became the pope because I don't remember the last, well, I certainly don't remember because it wasn't during my lifetime. I don't know if a Jesuit has been pope before. The Jesuits were always sort of the troublemakers. They're, they're like the rabbis of the Catholic Church, and... They are famous for their scholarship and for their ability to twist anything into three perspectives. And so for a Jesuit to have become the Pope, I always wished some of my teachers had lived long enough to see that happen. Um, but 538 is the time, three degrees, and let's bring it back to a funeral possibly, I know that you know the funeral of, of a pontiff is meaningful, probably to hundreds of thousands of Catholics who may be listening right now, but much closer to our hearts, I have to imagine, is the funeral yesterday for Constable Greg Prashala, murdered at the age of 28 and honored. As, as Rosie DeMano writes today, remembered and honored for a day, perhaps a week, a fortnight, and then the world moves on. When the rituals are concluded, the funerals ended, the casket disappearing into a hearse to the lament of a bagpiper, only those who loved him, who served alongside him, are left with an irreplaceable loss, a great big void where there should have been lives long lived. This is his sister speaking at yesterday's funeral. Greg was one of my three older brothers. Being both the youngest and the only girl, it wasn't always easy. But I found comfort knowing that I had three big brothers to protect me. Among the three, Greg took this job the most serious. 
He was always making sure that I was in a good place, both mentally and physically, and was always checking to make sure that I was headed in the right direction. Greg often emphasized how I should surround myself with good people and how it's better to have few friends leading you in a direction towards success than to have many that might be dragging you down. One of the last talks that we managed to have, he mentioned that no matter how small my circle of friends got, he would always be there as both a brother and a true best friend. Greg died a hero, and he lived as an inspiration. I may have not said it often, but I love you, Greg, and you'll always be my big brother. That is the constable's sister, and yeah, you know what, to come back to something I've always urged people to do, if you think of somebody, reach out to them. If the words, I love you, come to your mind, then let them come to your lips, because you never know. Meanwhile, it's not quite as catchy as Omicron, but there is a new variant of COVID. It has been detected largely in British Columbia, but I'm sure it's going to, you know, it's probably days away from being announced that it's already reached us here in southern Ontario. Uh, British Columbia Center for Disease Control finding five cases of XBB.1.5. Doesn't really come to the lips easily, does it? Um, and w the only thing that is distinctive about this is it's more transmissible than other variants, but apparently it may not cause more severe disease. And this is, you know, our future. I think uh, that COVID is going to be with us for a good long time. And I guess that's the price to be paid for having tried to weather it rather than allowing it to rip because there was no means of preventing, I mean, aside from, you know, masking, which was as controversial in 1918, 1919 as it is today, um, but there was no vaccine. So effectively, and also because of the circumstances of the time where people lived in much more close quarters and perhaps the worst vector for the 1918 flu was the troops were coming home from the First World War and they would load them into ships and then it would spread on the ships and they would go home and they'd spread it at home and it just, it ran out of control for a year and a half, two years. But it also killed all those it was going to kill. And then those people who didn't get it were either immune in the first place. Uh, or they had immunity because they had been exposed to it. One of the interesting things about the 1918 flu, because, you know, during COVID, I did a lot of reading on it, was it mostly was killing and most severely affecting younger people. And the theory is that there had been previous outbreaks that had immunized previous generations, the older people. So if you were over about 30, you were in much better shape to fight it off. If you were under 30, you were very vulnerable. And in our own family, I always remember my aunt Mabel, who uh, lived in Virginia, because that's where part of the family is from. She was uh, engaged to a man, believe it or not, this sounds like something out of Gone with the Wind, a man named Ashby Fox. And Ashby was in his early 20s. He contracted the flu and he died. 
And it was always told, but then I come from a family that's full of dramatic stories that may or may not be true, uh, that uh, Mabel had a stroke. And they said she had a stroke from grief. And then the most incredible thing about that was that this was before the era where people rehabilitated you if you had a stroke, where they challenged you to recover all of your physical and mental capabilities, and they didn't. And so by the time I met my Aunt Mabel in the 1970s, she was a woman incapable of speaking in a wheelchair, and she had been there since 1919. All right, back to the present day, uh, 544. So, something we're going to talk about just moments from now, NBC News national radio correspondent Aaron Real is going to join us to talk about remote working and the circumstances of how people work. But that dovetails nicely with a poll I'm looking at this morning that I'm highly dubious of. Day two of me being dubious or doubtful about a poll that is sitting on my uh, in my pack. But this poll says that 50% of Canadians, 50% of Canadian workers plan to look for a new job in 2023. You know what? I, I think almost everybody went at, well, not everybody, 50% of the population will always say, yeah, I'm going to look for a new job. How many of them are going to go to a new job? I realize that the average person now, I think, holds, the last time I looked, seven different jobs during their career. And I certainly understand why people are a lot less loyal these days. I mean, if your corporation shows almost no loyalty to you, especially as a young worker, then why should you show any loyalty to them? But at the same time, I, through all the years, I've known an awful lot of people who tell me, yeah, I'm getting out of this place, and they never do. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. That transit fare hike, incidentally, depends on how you pay for your transit. But the regular adult fare will go up a dime. So it'll be $3.30 or $3.35, depending on how you pay. Exempt from the increase are seniors, uh, those who use monthly passes. Do those still exist? I thought we'd gotten rid of monthly passes. Uh, and children, of course, under the age of 12 who ride for free. I was hearing quite recently, actually, that an awful lot of young people ride for free well after 12, since a lot of kids don't have any official ID. So if... You know, the fare inspector gets on and says, well, you didn't pay your fare. They say, well, I'm 11. And the fare inspector can't exactly, well, you're big for 11, aren't you? Um, so that's just one of the many prices. I never quite understood why kids should travel for free, but I guess for some families, it's a major, major advantage. I used public transit when I was in uh, junior school and high school. So I guess it would have been an advantage for my parents who didn't have a lot of money back then if I could have traveled for free. Uh, but we do end up with some pretty daunting challenges when it comes to at paying not only for transit, which is still running, last time I checked, I think it's got to about 65% of pre-COVID capacity, but it's not just transit. I mean, it's uh, pretty well the full city budget. And as it's being rolled out, we're discussing a lot of those budget issues, including today talking about homeless shelters. Looking forward to having Shelley Carroll. She's the former budget officer at the City of Toronto, uh, and she's a city councillor, and she's a regular contributor on Thursday mornings on Free For All Round One. Aaron Rael is an NBC News Radio National Correspondent, joins us now to talk about the future of work. And COVID 
really was the test case for so many things, including how we work. And we discovered that, you know, you could have a coworker in Ohio, didn't matter if you were all in a Zoom meeting, just didn't matter. So is that situation going to continue? Because a lot of corporations are mandating their employees to get themselves back into the office. Aaron, good morning. Good morning, John. Yes, it looks like it probably is. And I'd love to know what you're seeing uh, up in and around the Toronto area. But, but throughout the country, basically executives have now fallen into two camps when it comes to working from home. Some believe it has advantages and others say that company culture is built in the office. Both have merit, but remote work, it looks like it's here to stay. There was a Gallup poll that projects that about 75% of remote capable workers will be hybrid or fully remote long term. You know, if you want to push this culture, you can, but you're going to lose a lot of talent, it looks like. So there's, there's four reasons you have retention. Allowing remote work is, is crucial for retention. Actually, hybrid work, it boosted employee satisfaction and productivity and slashed attrition by 35%. Turnover was a big problem during the pandemic. If you're constantly having to recruit, train, hire new people, it ends up cutting into your bottom line. So you want to avoid that. Also, recruitment, remote work, it opens up your your geographic pool. Like you said, you can be in Ohio, you can be in Toronto. It doesn't matter where you are. You're all together on a Zoom call. And if you can create the work and, and get it done, that's good. You can also hire people from less expensive locales. And if they just have a lower... Um, cost of living, you can pay them less, which is uh, very attractive to a lot of employers. Then there's the recession cost cuts. We are likely going into this slow session, recession across the world, and, and that might accelerate the remote work trend because it reduces the need for office space. And that really, really helps companies out when you don't have to pay that big rent. And then finally, you know, the reversal risk. People who say you have to come in and then you don't just look at Twitter and Elon Musk. He insisted everyone be back in their seats. And then so many employees opted for severance instead that they had to soften their stance in order to coax some people back into the office. Aaron, it's an interesting perspective because I think you're absolutely right that we're sort of in phase uh, three here. First phase would have been everybody works from home. Second phase was all right. COVID's mostly behind us. You better get your butt back in the office. And third phase is, no, I don't feel like it. So what are you going to do about it? Right. Exactly. 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 And and then there's so many reasons now why employers, if you look at it, apparently productivity is up across the board and people are never unplugged. So this isn't necessarily better for the worker, but it doesn't create the commuting costs and, and the time away from family. So it does add benefits there, too. And people really, really appreciate it, which is why it seems like, you know, if we're, if we're being really honest with ourselves, the good medium would be a compromise and there would be some sort of hybrid schedule, which is what it looks like it's going to be. Aaron, thanks a lot. Interesting stuff. Thanks. Have a great day. Aaron Rael from NBC News Radio. And yeah, it does feel like there's a not necessarily a standoff, but a few months ago we were talking about the hard line that a lot of employers were taking, that you better get yourself back to the office. And then they sort of said, okay, well, three days a week. you got to be in the office three days a week. And... Now that people are refusing and they think, well, if I've got to replace, recruit, replace, train uh, the people I've got on staff, maybe I've got to figure out how to make the people I got on staff happy. And Nick Marano, I'm not sure where we are in our own co corporation. Maybe I'm telling stories out of school. But by my understanding, a few months ago, the, the standing order was you should be back in the workplace. But uh, we're still a ghost town in our complex here. I mean, 
uh, all of us uh, on the show and all of the people who appear. Well, actually, no, not all the people. All of the main hosts are in studio, but all of our guests. I don't know if I'm ever going to see those people again. Yeah, I think it's a hybrid version of the hybrid where um, depending on the situation, depending on what your job is, some of the office staff here, um, I think they've opted to have a hybrid model and they've chosen that. Uh, but the company did say, yes, if you're able to come in, then come in. Yeah, but we were chatting yesterday with our vice president, who I haven't seen in the flesh in a month, and she actually administers radio stations all over Ontario, and some of them probably entirely remotely, because I don't think she's hopping in a car and going to Sudbury just because somebody needs a face-to-face. -face. All this brings me actually to, um, uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal, which I've been trying to track down, but unfortunately it's behind a paywall. And it's not that I'm cheap, it's just that I already have paid for a lot of paywalls at other publications. And occasionally you come across a one-off column or feature and you think, that'd be interesting to read, but couldn't I just pay a buck and read it now rather than having to sign up and take out a subscription? But I was listening to a different show, I will confess, and he was unpacking the column. And just based on that coverage, what was fascinating was we are in a completely new era where effectively workers are calling the terms. They want to work less hours. They have less loyalty. They don't want to be intimidated, so they're quite resistant to domineering bosses, approaches that used to work in the past. And in particular, a lot of this was sort of crystallized during COVID. People have discovered a certain work-life balance that they want to maintain. So they won't work late. I mean, you take a Wall Street firm or a legal firm where you used to be told, oh, by the way, everyone's working, all the young workers are working on Saturday. And if you don't like that, then maybe you need to find another job. And now people are digging in and saying, no, as a matter of fact, I am not going to be working on Saturday. I am not going to be here copying files until 10 p.m. on a Thursday night. I got a life. I got things I want to do. And if you don't like that, I'll quit. And with COVID, not only did people discover the serenity, I guess, if you could call it that, not for everybody, I know. If you've got three kids under feet and a dog and a cat, maybe it's not that serene to be working from home. But a lot of people discovered, certainly I did, you know, I could get up, walk downstairs, and start working. And at 9.01, when my show was done, I was home. I'd go downstairs and pour a coffee, and, you know, there was no commuting. There was no having to even get dressed or take a shower if I didn't feel like it. A lot of you discovered that, and you don't want to go back. And so loyalty is down, commitment is down, and the traditional means, I guess, where companies would almost try to intimidate their workers by calling you lazy, that, that ain't working anymore. And uh, people also discovered during COVID, um, those who were furloughed, that when you know the government stepped in and patched them over, they discovered a whole other lifestyle altogether and decided maybe they're not married to the firm. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.